Welcome to the podcast for St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School Sherman Center that's in Random Lake, Wisconsin, north of Milwaukee and south of Sheboygan. We're pleased to share with you recent sermons and Bible classes from our congregation. We welcome you to join us for Divine Service Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We have Bible classes currently offered at 8.15 a.m. on Sunday. Join us to receive the Lord's Word and His gifts. All right, good. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Merciful Father, through holy baptism, you called us to be your own possession. Grant that our lives may be evidence, or may evidence the working of your Holy Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, according to the image of your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right. So, uh, there was a handout on the way in. You got one? Okay, good. And uh, I repeated what was at the end of last week, um, because we didn't quite get to it. So we'll repeat where we left off. We're in John chapter 3. Uh, and in case you forgot, this is the discourse. I'll say it's the, yeah, the discourse with Nicodemus. All right. And just to repeat for the sake of introduction, uh, that John chapters one through four, uh, my argument for you is that it's baptism through and through. It's, it's all about baptism. Um, and we catch that because there's plenty of references to water and then the working of water and the word. And the spirit here in specific. All right. So I feel like we should refresh because it's been a week. So why don't we read 1 through 15? Uh, Gabriel, are you going to read that loud for us? Mm-hmm. Thanks. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. All right, good. Now, my Bible uh, actually takes a break there between 15 and 16. Does yours do that? Mm -hmm. Have a paragraph break? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, English Standard Version. How about yours, Ron? You've got NIV. Yeah. Is there a paragraph break? Okay, good. Uh, last week we talked about this a little bit, but um, if you don't have the handout, you can grab one. There's one right there. Uh, as far as this whole section, beginning with verse 23 of chapter 2, there was an introduction through verse 2. Then there's three exchanges that all begin, well, they all have in the middle of them, amen, amen, right? And we talked about that that was like, um, what do you want to say? An emphatic statement. Rather than just saying amen, it's amen, amen, which means I'm now speaking to you as rabbi, as teacher, with truth statement, if you like. Um, of course, that doesn't fly very well in today's world. <laughs> amen, amen, I say to you, um, whatever I would say after that would probably offend somebody. <laughs> and then they would say, you can't tell me who I am or what, I, what God says or anything. Right? Uh, but Jesus does. And it actually aggravates the Jews, too, because his truth statement uh, runs up against what they hold to be self-evident. The coffee's not quite ready yet, so. I'm sorry you missed the announcement. I'm making it for later for our installation, and I didn't get here early enough for it to be ready yet. At some point during class, I bet you'll be able to have some. And you'll know, because the color will change. It's pretty hot, so I think it's going to start brewing in a minute. Give it, give it, it's probably 15 minutes yet. Thanks, John. Uh, and then the reason I asked about the paragraph break is I, I think uh, this is true, and there's a grammatical reason for it, that 16 to 21, which we didn't read, is actually um, preaching commentary, if you like. So it's the, it's the preacher, John, um, giving commentary on what you just heard from Jesus. Now, you could say it's Jesus himself kind of explaining it, but you'll notice grammatically how it kind of shifts in that following section uh, where he gets, uh, for lack of a better word, metaphysical. He gets all you know, high spiritual language. He's saying, okay, everything you heard Jesus say, this is what this means. And the, the grammatical term in English, it's for God so loved the world. Is that what yours says? For? Yeah. The, the, the word there is, I just wanted to emphasize this, um, is hutos. Hutos, which means um, in such a way, or, uh, you know, then, and this means that, it's more than just four, but we, we shorten it because it's just, it's only one little word, but it's saying that, then John is giving his commentary on everything you just heard, and that's the key word to tell you that. So you don't see that so much in English, but the way your Bibles have laid out the, the, the paragraph breaks, which weren't in the original Bible, are there for you to indicate what English doesn't indicate. But now we have a commentary happening. So think about it like, have you watched like House of Cards? Watch that show? No, it was on Netflix. Um, trying to think of another show where this happens. You, you know the term for actors, breaking the fourth wall? You ever heard that term? Right? Because space is three-dimensional, but to break the fourth wall is when the, when the actor goes out of character and starts talking to the audience. Can you think of another example where that happens? I think of a show or a movie. House of Cards is one that came to mind where the main character, Frank Underwood, he knows you're there the whole time. And usually he's just interacting within his scene, but then every once in a while I'll turn to the character and give a commentary about what just happened. And 
it's an evil show and you shouldn't watch it. But, and it won't come back, actually. I don't, oh, no, it's going to come back, but without him, because this was Kevin Spacey and he got caught in some scandal. So um, I think with, yeah, it wasn't, it's not a good one. But it's a Hollywood one. It happens. All right. So why did I bring all that up? Yes. So we're now in the second exchange. Uh, and I want to begin with the amen, amen, the second amen, amen. Right? We talked about the first one. Unless one, how'd the first one go? Verse three, unless one is born from above or again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And we talked about that at length last week. And there's notes for you if you missed that. All right. Uh, but the second one is, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So uh, there's, there's a parallel there, isn't there? That word being born, right? And then instead of being born from above or again, it's now born of water, right? And the spirit. So to be born again or to be born from above is to be born by water and the spirit. And it's not water, baptism by water and baptism by the spirit, but it's baptism, the baptism of the water and the spirit together. Okay. Um, now that's important. We'll talk about it maybe uh, later. If we get to it, Uh, then notice it's not just see the kingdom of God, you know, with one's eyes, so to speak. But I think we talked about seeing um, faith sees, but sees by hearing. Have we talked about that? I know I used it in a sermon. Maybe you remember about um, one of my professors calls it um, called it, uh, you know, your earballs. Calls these your earballs because when it comes to faith, when it comes to the scriptures, we see by hearing. We don't see with our eyes, we see with our ears, which is kind of, what is that, a mixed metaphor? I love the Bible. I love mixed metaphors. I always get metaphors mixed up, and the Bible does it all the time, so it's great for me. Um, Anyway, side note, here it's enter the kingdom of God, so to come into. So you see that there's parallel, but it's because it's both kingdom of God, and it's both being born, um, but now you see it's not just seeing it, but it's going into it, right? So we're stepping up if you like. Following so far? Um, Let's see, what else was I going to point out there? Oh, we did talk about that being born term. And uh, I don't remember, did I put it on the sheet? I might have put it on the sheet last week. But it's probably worth, yes, the way I translated it, actually, right there on the beginning of today's page, too. Unless one is begotten from the uh, water in the spirit. Um, It's geneo in in Greek. And it, it doesn't simply mean like earthly birth. It means to be made new again. Now, okay, so let's see. What did I say in the paragraph here? Hmm. Jesus insists upon that which will come to the fulfillment in all things. That's his crucifixion. Namely, his baptism, which gives us forgiveness of sins in his death. Now, I made this point last week, and hopefully you remember it, that I don't think Nicodemus has any idea what Jesus is talking about. And that might seem cruel to you. It's brewing, John. I hear it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, bubbling. It's, taunting. it's taunting you with coffee. Um, made this argument last week that, I mean, may that seem cruel that Jesus would, like, make a statement that Nicodemus can't possibly know the answer to um, or possibly understand. Um, but, you know, maybe we actually do this with, te- with children, don't we? We teach them things, and then later we explain to them what, why we taught them that thing. Right? So I, not just with, with just like school and stuff, but, but even with discipline, like don't touch the stove. 
And they say, why? Because I say so. That's usually how it goes, right? They're like, just trust me, it's good for you. And that won't work probably. No, don't do it or you'll get a spank, right? And then later, um, probably through some experience, you find out that actually, yeah, touching a stove is not such a pleasant experience and maybe you shouldn't do it. You haven't done that? You've touched something hot. Like a toaster oven. What? A pan. A pan, yeah. Yeah. I have this, this said this in VBS, I have the scar, although it's very faded now. It used to be more strong to prove that, yeah, putting your hand under the pot when it's coming down onto the table, not a good plan. <laughs> uh, so so the, what I'm saying is that Jesus gives information, and then as more, um, if you like, content is given, then it backfills your understanding of what came before. And this is really what John's doing throughout his whole book, especially here at the beginning, is, and, and what Jesus is doing with the Jews, is he's saying, this is what you know, and now this is what it means. Right? So you, we'll see this in John 6, your, your fathers in the wilderness were hungry and I gave them bread to eat. But that bread was to show you that I'm the bread you need. Right? I'm bread from heaven, he says. And you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have life in you. And they're like, whoa, now you're going. And he's like, no, this is, I am the continuation. I'm not only continuation, I'm the culmination, the fulfillment of everything that happened to your fathers in, in, in the Old Testament. So I think I even said that here. Nicodemus could not know what Jesus refers to as the Christian rite is not initiated, meaning the Christian rite of baptism, and such a baptism can't be known solely from the Old Testament, even by a teacher of Israel. So you can't get to Christian baptism from the Old Testament alone. Right. Um, this is what's so revolutionary for uh, the disciples and for Jesus, and why it requires preaching is that um, it is a New Testament. It isn't to say the Old Testament was wrong, but the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New. The New replaces the Old. And um, I know we did. We read it. We read Isaiah and Ezekiel last week, right? We looked at that. Um, now, water and spirit, that's not new to us, because that's the story at the beginning, right, with Genesis. The, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, and God separated the waters from the waters in, in the dry land, and, and he breathes upon his disciples, which, by the way, you don't breathe on someone without aspirating on them. <laughs> so there's even water there, maybe. But um, water's the thing, and without water, you can't live. But then also we see water being a big deal in the way that God both saves his people but also destroys wickedness and evil, right? So he drowns hard-hearted Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, but he delivers his people safely through the Red Sea on dry ground, right? As Luther says, foreshadowing this washing of holy baptism, right? In the baptism rite. We hear that in the prayer. Um, Same with the crossing through the Jordan on dry ground, right? But the Jordan is a barrier to outsiders. It keeps them from coming in, but the people can travel through on dry ground. Because otherwise you have to go all the way around, go all the way up to the, the Galilee and take a boat or something. Or maybe there's ferries along the way. All right. So Genesis 1-2, there it is, Spirit. And then we looked, at, we looked at Isaiah and Ezekiel. All right, so that's a little bit of repetition, but get the idea there. Being begotten from, or from water and the Spirit. Uh, I know we talked about verse 6 a little bit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Uh, What does he mean by being born of the flesh and then being flesh and spirit being spirit? 
I th- did we? I feel like we talked about that. Did we talk about that? No, we didn't. Okay, well, let's do it. Um, what is born of the flesh? Human. Human, right? We are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you are flesh and blood of your parents. There's just no way around that, right? There's no, you don't have any genetic material that wasn't contributed to you from your, both your parents. Just how it works. Okay? So, of the flesh. You're of my flesh. Just like Eve was taken from Adam and then Seth, and well, Cain and Abel and Seth, they were born of Adam and Eve, right? And they were their children. Um, what's the problem with being born of the flesh? Original sin. Yeah. So, you receive everything that your parents have, including their sin, right? Uh, interestingly, the, the Bible and then early church too, and until pretty recent days, really perceived that, um, that sin was transmitted by the parents, namely by the father. So it's the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, right? Of those who hate me. And uh, so that might help you understand the virgin birth a little bit because of the way the Bible communicates. So it's not that Eve doesn't have sin, but the sin is not communicated to Jesus because there's no earthly father. Um, yeah. And you know, you say, well, that's kind of mystical mumbo jumbo. And I was like, well, whatever. I mean, this is what the Bible says about how sin is transmitted, um, which means, yeah, when it's going to get weird if we're starting. So far, they haven't been able to create human life that doesn't have uh, a male contribution to it, um, I think. I might be wrong about that. The Chinese probably have done it. They do all sorts of crazy stuff out in the, out in the woods, in the north, where nobody knows. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's what happens with flesh. And if, you wanna, if you're born of the flesh, then you're going to be fleshy. And um, you can think here in terms of St. Paul, right? Galatians, talking about the flesh being um, your sinful nature. Right? It's not just your body, but it's your sinful nature. And, and that's helpful, too, because I think we need to emphasize that more because sometimes people hear us saying, well, flesh, you're saying that the body is evil. Like, no, the body's not evil. <laughs> what you do with it is sometimes, right? Um, but the, the body itself is a gift, and that's why Jesus says um, you will receive the resurrection of the body, right? Because that's part of who you are. Okay. Begotten of the Spirit, what does that mean? So I, I gave you a distinction there. That which is born of the... Uh, I'm looking at the Greek here. That which is is born of the sarks, the flesh. Yeah, gnao. And that which is um, born of the spirit, right, is spirit. So if you want to have that which is not sinful, as John pointed out, then it has to come from the spirit. It doesn't come from you, which is contrary to pretty much what everyone hopes for religiously. It's like, if I do what I need to do, then God will be pleased with me. And that there's, I mean, even medieval Rome held this view, and Luther went against, right up against it, saying that we have the capacity to be spiritual, you know, to come follow after God. Uh, but what did we hear, like, in the prayer that I started today with? Mm. Merciful Father, through holy baptism, or by the means of holy baptism, you called us to be your own possession. So he has to call you. Right? Without the call, there is no, there's no reception. So without his word being spoken, there's no, you would not even know that such a thing happened, that there is such a thing as baptism. Right? Like I said, he has to tell us what baptism is for us to know what it is. It's not something we know by nature. For example, 
All right, so there's a crisis here. We saw the crisis back in chapter 2, where Jesus clears the temple because it's his, he's the temple, not that temple, and so he clears out that temple. Right? And so there's this conflict between Jesus and the temple back in chapter 2. Now we have the same thing. Old Israel was born of, born of Abraham, right? And this will come up again, I think, in chapter 8, if I remember correctly. Maybe it's chapter 7. Pretty sure it's chapter 8, where, hey, we're children of Abraham, and you say... You know, that God isn't our father. I mean, we call Abraham our, Abraham's our father, so God's our father. He's like, no, you're not. You're children of the devil. It's pretty intense, (laughs) Jesus is, um, because you do the works of your your father, which is the devil. So, um, yeah, the flesh of Abraham is, is old Israel. Now, new Israel is born this way. Again, are from above by water in the spirit. On. Okay. So it's a different Israel. Like I said, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament, Old Israel, New Israel. Got it? All right. It's not that the old is. I'm going to use the word in here, I think, on the study sheet somewhere, but it's worth saying now. Um, sorry, we have these like $5 or $10 church words, but it's just part of the deal. And all to met. Right? And what are prefixes? Do you remember what pen is? I don't remember. I know what it means. I know what this means, though. Yeah, this, this is like, so if you were going to go three, two, one, lift off, right? <laughs> this is what it is. Right? Penultimate is this. It's the, the thing that comes right before lift off, right? If you like. So the penultimate thing is old Israel. It's the thing that comes, but it's preliminary and it leads to the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is Christ and his church, baptism. Um, this is really important because sometimes, there's actually even a movement called the Jewish Roots Movement. Have you heard of that? Have you heard of that? It's not as popular maybe today. It was probably four or five years ago. Um, the idea that uh, Christians can, or actually should, take the New Testament and then blend in selectively stuff from the Old Testament to be even more authentic Christians. Right? So this is things like Ezekiel bread. You know? So if we eat the way Ezekiel ate, we'll be healthier. I was reading an article today about, um, um, about the introduction of dietary regulations in the United States and, and Australia. And it was introduced primarily, actually, not by the U.S. government, but by the Seventh-day Adventists. I'm like, what? Yeah. Because uh, they had the, uh, one of the they had co-founders. I can't remember. Mary was her name. I can't remember his name. Um, she said that um, that a grain or vegetable, grain or vegetable-based diet was more godly because that was the garden. That was the diet of the garden. And then, um, through significant lobbying, um, worked through the United States government to enforce this. They actually, she actually said, eating red meat would lead to sin. Um, so, do you know, you know about Kellogg, Dr. Kellogg? Have you heard this story? By the way, Seventh-day Adventist. Um, he ran a mental asylum in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And same story. Um, graham crackers, same thing. They didn't have sugar on them. What, how do we like now? Cinnamon, sugar, graham crackers, right? Originally, no, no cinnamon, no sugar. Just graham crackers. The idea was to create the blandest food possible. Um, and then that would restrain like mental disorders and... Um, they were especially concerned about masturbation. Don't ask me why, but they were. Um, that was the thing that they were going to stop through diet. 
And then, yeah, and they lobbied the United States government. And that's how we ended up with things like Food Pyramid eventually. <laughs> and, uh, and, and think people saying that fat, it's not as big a deal today, but I grew up in this. It's like everything had to be low fat everything because fat was bad. And we find out now that actually there's not like one kind of fat and there's dietary fat versus body fat. And there's different kinds of body fat. Even there's brown fat and adipose tissue and da-da-da-da-da. And it was like way too simplistic and it was motivated by actually pretty strange ideas. Um, and I don't think the f- folks here have any problem with people eating like dairy fat. <laughs> Hopefully not. It's the economy of things, right? But also even just like eating red meat, it's not a problem. Um, just the other day on TV, they had something out about making like chicken nuggets or chicken fingers without meat in it. Yeah, the Seventh-day Adventists are still advocating for meatless meat products. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's religiously motivated. They also, um, yeah, they don't, they don't do blood transfusions. So all sorts of interesting things they read in from the Old Testament into the New Testament. That's why I brought all that up. Um, what are some other things uh, that we'll see? People say like, well, Christians have to be circumcised. Like, no, no, that's Old Testament. New Testament is baptism, is the circumcision of the heart. That's what the New Testament says. Circumcision is over. Um, there's, there's dialogues in the New Testament between like Paul and Timothy and Titus about he has, has one be circumcised for the sake of not offending the Jews, and the other one he doesn't, so don't worry about it because you're not amongst Jews, so don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Uh, I mean, we don't want to needlessly cause offense, but it is. Um, it is interesting. Uh, another one that's really popular, and I have no idea why, is the idea of a Seder meal. And I know that's kind of a, maybe hitting a little too close to home, because I understand you've had them here before. Um, the Seder meal, the mistaken idea is that you're, in, you're importing ideas of the Passover meal into the, into, by bringing them into the New Testament church, you'll, you'll understand Lord's Supper better. Um, but what we call the Seder meal wasn't really practiced until eighth or ninth century AD, so eight or nine hundred years after Jesus. <laughs> so it's not even necess- It's not even what they were celebrating at the Passover. There's parts of it that are in the Passover institution, but most of it's modern, relatively modern, medieval. Um, and again, the point is, is that the New Testament, or namely the Lord's Supper, is not the Passover meal. It is the fulfillment of the Passover meal. It's our Passover. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Right? So he gives us his blood to drink. They would not ever dare do that in the Old Testament. It completely undermines everything the Old Testament said. Where they said, you can't drink the blood because in the blood is life. And then Jesus comes and says, you must drink my blood to have life in you. Why? Because his blood actually doesn't bring death, it brings life. Because he died. Okay, try to figure that one out. Why does his blood give life if he died? Right? Because he rose again. So we want to be careful about that. Um, we can understand the New Testament in light of the Old Testament. We can actually understand what the Old Testament was showing by, by looking at it, and we need to. Um, that's what we're going to be doing here. But on the other hand, the Old Testament isn't the thing. It's the thing that's replaced by the New Testament thing. right? And so sometimes, like I said with the blood, the Old Testament says, prohibits it, and the New Testament actually says you must. Right? So it actually undermines the Old Testament entirely. Other times, um, you'd say, well, like the manna, and then we have bread, right? And daily bread in the wilderness, daily bread in the supper. It's the same idea. So sometimes there, there are similarities. Okay, little rant. Sorry about that. 
Um, the emphasis here, so being born of the Spirit, being born from above, the emphasis here, second paragraph, about halfway through, is the freedom of God to, in his work of mercy and grace as God creates ex nihilo, that's Latin, and I love, out of nothing, that's right. Um, so he does for the Christian in baptism. There is nothing in you. <laughs> I wouldn't say worth saving, you're worth saving, but there's nothing in you that saves you. Put it that way. He creates in you everything that you lack, every, everything needed for faith and life, for salvation. He does that through baptism. So new life comes by his grace alone as a gift, received only by faith. And by the way, he gives you the faith to even believe it, which we'll hear in the sermon again today. That's an emphasis of mine, of course. Um, one begotten from the Spirit hears the voice of the Spirit in the words of Jesus and knows that he is the teacher of Israel. Their beginning and end is in God. I don't know what I'm referring to there. There. I don't. I, my my pronoun isn't referring to anything. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, beginning and end is in God, and so will be rejected by the world, just as Jesus was rejected because the world cannot receive the Spirit. Oh, I see. That that beginning, um, begottening by the Spirit and the words, comes from God, ends with God. It's all God's work. All right. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. And uh, um, the Jews of Jesus' day, and I think our natural religion is this, is it's like, yeah, God, we, we know that we need to be saved. Um, you know, just hold on. You know, take the wheel with me, that kind of thing, right? Be my co-pilot. Ever see that? Jesus is my co-pilot. It's like, no, he, he's, he's your pilot. He's the pilot. He's the car. He's the... Um, he's the he, he, He's the one. I mean, think about like the uh, Good Samaritan. You're dead in the ditch, effectively, right? He lifts you up. He takes you to his inn. He cares for you. He puts oil. He heals you. He gives everything needed to preserve you, right? And of course, he can do that because he already did. He already was that person who was in the ditch, who was left and abandoned for dead himself. He's been there. Okay. Any questions so far? All right. Uh, do not marvel. Thamadzo, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Or again, it could be from above. And then this statement is interesting. The wind blows when and where it wills, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Now, what doesn't he understand that he should understand as a teacher of Israel? Any ideas there? I mean, he keeps saying, you should, you should get this. Why don't you get it? What, what is he not getting? Being born again, being born of water and the Spirit, entering into the kingdom of God and the work of the Spirit... What is he not understanding? The change from the Old Testament? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think that's part of it. I mean, verse 8. This was a thought I had yesterday. I don't know if I've ever preached it this way. Because uh, this, this is a gospel text for Easter. Uh, oh, go ahead, Ron. Flip over verse 8. It says, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit is beyond the human comprehension. Yeah, I think that's true. I think if you look at verse 8, what you notice first 
is that Jesus gives an earthly example. And he's going to go there here in verse uh, 11. Or excuse me, verse 12. Um, so it's an earthly example. I mean, you know about the wind, that it just goes where it is, and you can't even really predict it. So why, and, and, and it's, he's playing on words here because the word for wind is the word for spirit. <laughs> it's the same word. So there's a little word play going on here. The wind, you could say the spirit blows where he wishes or where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. All right? Why? He's saying, you as a teacher of Israel, you should know that my breath has been wind from day one. I've always, it's always been called wind and I blow, it blows on what it where it wants to and how it wants to. So, I mean, you're probably right, John, and at least in part, is this is the thing now. And why do you have a problem with it? Can I not blow when and where I will as God, right? Well, that's part of the problem. They don't see Jesus as God, just from God, right? So I think that's part of it. Um, It's kind of an enigmatic statement, which is why I didn't put much on the notes about it. But it, is, but it is this idea of an earthly example. And then he's saying, and that, even that earthly example can indicate something to you about, a, about the heavenly reality of this. Um, you know, one of the things that a Christian can hear from this is in regards to baptism, uh, in regards to the working of the Spirit, is that you, you can't control it. And I know you, you want to, right? I want to as pastor, right? I want... I would like, you know, this congregation, the people in this congregation to be a certain kind of Christian, you know, to, to live their, their lives of faith in a very particular kind of way as far as prayers and what hymns they know and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and then what you find out is that actually um, probably the better way to go about things and the way I try to go about things is to provide opportunities, many opportunities, and let, let thy spirit, you know, direct you in the way that you will, right? So maybe, I mean, maybe your thing is portals of prayer. You love portals of prayer. My mom tells me this month isn't so great. She's listening. Um, some months it's good, some months not, right? Uh, just like my preaching. Some, some weeks it's good, some weeks it's not so sure what he was talking about. Then, um, or maybe your thing is to read the Higher Things devotions that I put out. Or maybe it's to use the prayer guide or to use some combination thereof. Or maybe you just like to read through the Psalms, right? The fact is, is that you study God's Word, and that's part of your daily life. Um, how you go about that, um, it's not so, I can't be so prescriptive. Now, what's going on here, though, is that baptism is prescriptive. Just think Mark chapter 16, right? How does Mark 16 go? Catechism? Whoa, I didn't. I used to know it. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Right, I mean, it's prescriptive. It's like baptism or it, that's it. No baptism, right? And, but the Spirit actually works that faith that believes that baptism is what it is. And that it's necessary for salvation. And to say to the Spirit, no, I don't want to be baptized, is to reject the Holy Spirit. And that's not such a good thing to do. Somewhat dangerous. So I, that was the, I think that's one of the sub undercurrents here, is to say, you know, don't, don't begrudge the Holy Spirit to work, in, in, work through the Word in many ways. Right? Some people are going to respond better to hymns than they are to, to preaching. Some people are going to respond better to psalms you know, the Psalms of David, um, while others will tell me that the Psalms are, some, are somewhat veiled or incomprehensible to them. So they, they don't particularly care for the Psalms. Right? When you say, well, um, some people actually respond well to, uh, what do you want to say, visual, right? So art, art and stained glass and, you know, that kind of thing. And other people respond um, maybe better to smells. 
So the church historically has had smells. We've gotten away from smells because people cough and they gag and they're allergic to everything under the sun. I'm allergic to your basement. Most other people are allergic to flowers. You know, it's like you just can't win. Right? Some people are allergic. <laughs> Maybe they're allergic to hymns too. Yeah, hymn singing. Um, I know you can't, you, can't, you can't say there's a one size fits all, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, but there are certain things that are necessary as well. So I, maybe one way to talk about the Christian faith is that there's, mm, how do you want to say? There is freedom within constraint. Does that make sense? So Jesus says, here's, here's the boundaries of what's good for you. Just like he did in the garden, right? You can eat of any of those trees, just don't eat that one. Not good for you. Eat on the rest of the trees, right? Stay within the boundaries. Stay within the sheep pen, if you like. I'm your shepherd. Stay within the fold, and it'll be, go well with you. But within that, you're free to roam and to, to explore and to delight in my word and my words and uh, really with me. Um, but don't, don't go outside the fold, right? And uh, so that's what we do in the church, too. We have, we have some things that are constrained, right? So, like, we don't say other words at the Lord's Supper. <laughs> we don't. We don't use other words to baptize. I baptize you in the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier, which um, our liberal Lutheran friends will sometimes do, which is not what Jesus said to do. Right? So stay, stick with his word on that. Um, but whether we have the candle or not, whether we have the white garment or not, whether we have uh, the salt on the tongue and the spit in the ears, and we talked about this with baptism, right? Okay. Yeah, that's not, that's not the point. It's taking a long time to prove. This is for later. Mm, okay. Now you know. All right. But maybe that's enough on that. How can these things be? Again, uh, um, another amen, amen statement. Here it comes. So this would be the third one. Are you the teacher of Israel or rabbi of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, and you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how do you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Okay, so there's the earthly things, like the wind blowing around. Heavenly things, the Spirit goes where he wants to, and he works through water and the Word. That's how he does it. Yeah, were you going to say uh, something wrong? Yeah, I just noticed in that verse it says, I tell you these things, we speak. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and, yep. um, I think it's the other direction. So not looking forward to the disciples, although that's true, looking backwards, right? Which actually I tell you here. Uh, I've actually usually taken this as to be one of these divine moments. That he's going back to creation, you know, let us make man in our image, right? And kind of implicitly there. We have Father, Son, and Spirit at work. So I've usually taken it that way. But I, but I think now, as we've studied through this, uh, I'm convinced that he's talking about the witness of Moses and Elijah and Noah and Moses. I already said Moses. And Naaman, the Syrian. I mean, the witnesses of all those who came before who found salvation and water in the Word. Um, or Joshua going through the, the river, for example. So, but he's referring backwards, I would say. We're witnessing. This is all the teachers of... Because he's just said, are you a teacher of Israel? Are you in the line of Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, all those who trusted in me for their salvation? Are you in that line? Are you part of that witness? 
and he's not, and they're not, all right? So the plural here, uh, we in this text, I would say, it's right there in the middle of the paragraph, is Jesus is adding his witness to that of John the Baptist, along with Moses and Abraham, namely, okay? And, and you'll see that he'll pick up on that theme later on in chapter 5 with Moses. Maybe we should look at that quick. And then Abraham as well in chapter 8. So let's see, John chapter 5, 39, right? Is what I said? You search the scriptures, if you can get there quick. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. This is what we've been talking about, right? Uh, and skipping ahead to verse 45. Do not think I accuse you to the Father, that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? We bear witness together, you see? Yeah. Which is helpful, again, because we're talking about the Old Testament isn't like the old thing that we kick to the curb, but the old thing is to teach us of the new thing. Right. So listen to Moses, because Moses was teaching of the Christ. Um, think of how Peter talks about it. When Moses struck the rock and out came water, he struck, the rock was Christ. That's what Peter says. You're like, what? He struck Christ and out comes water? But think John. They pierce his side and out comes water and blood. I mean, this is fulfillment language. It's, it's, um, it's really, I don't know about you, but it's the thing I've delighted in most since actually probably going to seminary is that um, is to not have this kind of what do you want to say antithetical or oppositional view of the Old Testament and New Testament that the old, the richness of the Old Testament is is found um, in Jesus and seeing Jesus as some would accuse us of doing under every rock and behind every tree and in every action there's Jesus but if it's not true, then you actually have to go against what he said here, <laughs> right? Where he said, you search the scriptures, bless you, because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. The whole point of the story is Christ's death and resurrection for you. That's the point from the get-go. Really? I mean, even like going into exile and wandering the wilderness or going to Babylon or conquering the enemies or doing battle with Philistines or having a Passing off your wife as, as your sister, so you don't, yeah. I mean, all sorts of things. Some of those are a little bit challenging. We actually had one professor, one class, a professor made this point, and then he said, just test me. Give me an example. Something in the Bible that you don't think has anything to do with Christ, and I'll prove you wrong. Which was, I'm not, don't do it. I'm not prepared to do that. <laughs> I know somebody brought up Ruth, because there's no even mention of God in there. Um, but that one's pretty easy, because you're the kinsman redeemer. So Boaz redeems Ruth from basically um, what, what would be normally a life of a prostitute. That's what she would have gone into. And he redeems her back. He buys her back. Uh, and makes her his wife, his bride. Which is a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. Yeah. Very interesting because just this morning, I don't know if I heard it, to you. Mm, yeah. The pastor was speaking about this very... His main message was on the last three chapters of the Judges. Oh, Okay. In the last verse in Judges says, and everyone did evil or did as he thought was fit. Mm, right. And you're left right there. But then he said, Where is the hope? Yes. Yeah. 
there, there was none there. Mm. But then the next book in the Bible is Ruth. Ah, yes. And you get the whole kinsman redeemer. And, and right. And Ruth being the... In the genealogy of Jesus, yeah. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Um, one of the important things that we'll hear there from, and I didn't, I'm not going to talk about it in the sermon, but it's a subtext in today's gospel text, um, like with the writer of the Hebrews, is that if, if you decide to refuse the invitation to be a Christian, right? So to, or to come to the feast and then you, then you cease to come, um, the elders know this, but trying to, trying to reconcile with those who have rejected the church, maybe rejected the faith, but at least rejected the church. I won't say it's impossible, but it, it's, it's certainly the hardest thing that I have to do. And I've had very limited success. I've had some. Uh, the Spirit granted you know, a few people to be restored into the congregation that were, uh, had been offended or had been kicked out. You know, one thing, one, or done something stupid, or something stupid had been done to them, or whatever it was. Um, but usually, once you've stepped away, um, writer of the Hebrews says, you know, it's worse for you than than to be an unbeliever, because you're rejecting. You've had, you've heard the truth, and now you're rejecting it. So Jesus talks about that today in the sermon back or in the uh, gospel text, but I'm not going to emphasize it. But it's, I mean, it's really a hard. That's a hard teaching. Um, you know, think of Judas as a good example. That's better for you if you had not been born. To have known me and now reject me. That's what he's getting at. The same teaching. So we've borne witness. Moses and Abraham, and I would include all the prophets in that. Um, David, too. David preaching Jesus in the Psalms. It's, that's a, by the way, when I said the Psalms are obscure, um, if the Psalms are obscure to you, then, then again, just think of Christ. Think of not necessarily his, his ministry, but think specifically of his cross. Or how does Jesus fulfill this psalm? Or how is... How is the psalmist asking for a savior in the psalm? And you'll find clarity then. Uh, the problem with the psalms is that they don't, they're not very Western. They're very much Eastern, Middle Eastern. So they, they, they work like this sometimes. <laughs> and you're like, well, wait a minute. I want A, B, A1, B1, C, conclusion, or A again. Um, you know, I want these, this logical kind of thing. And they don't. He's like, Lord, you, you love me with all your... I love you with all my heart. Save me from my foes. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Right? Wait a minute, how do those things all go together? It's true, right? Because we read through the Psalms. And sometimes they seem to go on forever. It's like, okay, you can just... You can stop now. So the way this works is that the earthly things... Think about like the Red Sea, the pool. Oh, I mentioned that. I didn't mention that one before. The pool that the angel stirred. Do you know about this one in the Old Testament? The pool of Siloam. You know this? The angel would come once a year, and if you happened to be in the pool when the angel came and stirred the water, you'd be healed. Like, I mean, talk about an obscure statement. By the way, they found the pool, archaeologically. They were digging in Israel and built some apartment complexes or something, and they, they found it. I'm pretty confident. 90, I think it's something like 80 or 90% confident that that's the pool of Siloam. It has all the features. Um, Jesus himself comes to that pool and talks about that, what happened in the Old Testament, and then he, he says, I'm you know, what, you don't need to go to the pool once a year, just come to me now. See, so he replaces it. Uh, what else? Naaman, you know the story of Naaman, the Syrian with leprosy. Leprosy being one of the ways that uh, our flesh indicates our sin. The Bible does 
use blindness and deafness and dumbness and lameness and leprosy and what else, demon possession, all sorts of ways to, as exemplars of, of having a sinful character. Um, it's not, those things aren't physical, but they're also spiritual disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Old Testament type and antitype. Have you heard those words? Type and antitype? All right. I, I kind of have some indication that maybe you're hearing what I'm saying. Okay, type and antitype. Um, tupos, it means figure in Greek. So um, you're talking about the, the, the thing that's given that refers to the other thing, the antitype, the thing that's against it. Right? So, so you have, like we talked about with baptism, you have the Red Sea, you have the crossing of the Jordan, you have the flood, and these are types of the antitype that is baptism by water and the Spirit. See? So that's just the technical term for it. Now you know. Or you could say it this way, prophecy and fulfillment. You could also say earthly and heavenly as perishable and imperishable. St. Paul does that in, um, I want to say Corinthians or Colossians, I can't remember which. It starts with a C, right? We've been, we, we, we are perishable, but we will be raised imperishable, incorruptible, right? So the heavenly thing. It's not that the perishable is wrong. The perishable needs to put on the imperishable, he says, right? So the, the hope or the, the comfort for the Christian at the graveside, when I would usually read that, you know, at a committal, is putting on the imperishable, which is to put on Christ, which is baptism language. This is why, this is why the baptismal candle, the, the, uh, the Christ candle, moves from the font to the, to the, to the um, casket for a funeral. And that's why the service starts with the remembrance of baptism. Because that's our hope. That's where our hope is. That new life that Christ has already given in baptism. Does that follow? All right. Uh, so the Old Testament is penultimate. There's that word. Preliminary. With institutions and rights and capable of bringing, bringing, bringing one into the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean they were wrong or God was just stringing people along. Um, for example, the Old Testament sacrifices for lambs and goats and bulls and sheep and what else? Breads and grains and... Am I forgetting something? We're sacrificing stuff all over the place, right? It's not that those sacrifices were wrong. That's not it at all. Because they were instituted by God. They were given by God. Um, but they, are, they, they were to show, they were the type of the antitype. Like we talked about with the manna or the bread and Christ being the bread from heaven. Like we could talk about with the Lamb of God, right? Christ being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world and, and for all time. Uh, we could talk about uh, his blood being shed. So the blood of all the bulls and goats it doesn't save um, eternally. It only saved temp- temporally, if you like. Temporarily. Right? That's why they had to keep making sacrifices over and over. And yet we have Christ who is our once and, and for all sacrifice. So Hebrews, by the way, which is a commentary, New Testament commentary on the book of Leviticus. So if you want to know how to read Leviticus, read Hebrews. And then you can read Leviticus. Does that follow? You'll understand how Leviticus is the type. Hebrews shows you Christ as the antitype, the full, what, they were point, what all those sacrifices pointed to. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers um, by the prophets, but in the last days... He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also he created the world, John 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God. 
talked about glory of God already, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's got the whole world in his hands. There it is. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's creedal language. Having become a much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs, to which the angels did God ever say? To which of the angels did God ever say? Question mark. And I could keep reading. Uh, Then skip to 7, Hebrews 7. I'm just reading it for you in the interest of time. Oh, that's a long chapter. Oh, that's Melchizedek and Abraham. And by faith, and by faith, you are a priest forever in that order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and has not changed his mind. You are a priest forever, quoting the psalm of Jesus. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. For the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he lives to make intercession for them. So you can go read that more on your own. How, yeah, there was Moses, now there's Jesus. There was Abraham, there's Jesus. There's the, the priest, there's Jesus. Okay. All right. I feel like I'm going too fast for you. But. So the Old Testament is the type and the New Testament is the mm-hmm. You got it. Now, there are things in the Old Testament that we would call direct prophecy. Mm-hmm. Right? Where it's not like, well, there were three days, this happened in three days. And then maybe that refers to the three days of Christ in the tomb, like Jonah and the belly of the fish. Actually, Jesus helps us with that. He said, that is a type of, of my death and resurrection. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and he spat on the sea, so um, I will be raised from the dead, or however he said that. But sometimes, those are, that's type, any type. Uh, there are direct prophecies that say, you know, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, for he said, his people from their sins. All right. That's clearly direct prophecy. You know, the your offspring will crush the serpent's head. Well, where is, who is that? It's Jesus crushing the devil's head. It's not so much a type, but it's a direct prophecy. So there's that as well. But the type thing is a little bit harder because uh, you have to stretch your brain and say, okay. Uh, but the, easy, I mean, the easiest way to think about this is to say that the head of Israel, whether it's Moses or Joshua um, or David, they're the type of Christ. And the body, or Israel, or the nation, or the Hebrews, are is the church, is you, right? And so then, and, and and then often you'll say, well, how is David a type of Christ? Well, he's the king, and he rides in in victory, but he's also how is he not like Christ? So that's the thing with type and any type. It's not just one to one correspondence in a positive, but there's also how does Christ undo, or how is he the better David or the better, um, better Moses, right? Does he give a more excellent word, as Paul says? Or he has a higher name than any of the angels, that kind of thing. Yeah, so that's the thing with type and anti-type. Um, and like the curriculum we use using in the school, I think, what we use for religion too. Um, still in my head. But um, that's the emphasis every day in the, in the curriculum. It's like, how does this teach us of Christ? Because what's the point of reading the Old Testament if it's not teaching us of Jesus? Well, some would use it to teach moral lessons or how to be a better person. How can you be a better person apart from your baptism, apart from the forgiveness of sins? You can't. There's no such thing. There's, there's virtue and nobility and honor. Um, but without, without Christ, these things, you know, they avail you nothing, as they would say. All right. Good question. All right. 
I don't know. I got way out of, I don't know what verse I was on. Okay, here we go. No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Hmm. And then as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whatever believes in him may have eternal life. Uh, we won't talk about the last part of that. We'll, we'll leave that to next week. But verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. Um, that's an interesting statement. Uh, most, I, I, I told you here, Augustine and Luther, I think a lot of the early church fathers too, they see this as, as Jesus teaching about his divine and human nature. So he has descended from heaven, he's human, um, but he's from heaven. So he's, he's God. I think that's reasonable. Um, but rather, I don't think that's exactly what's going on here grammatically, nor is he referring to his ascension into heaven after his crucifixion. Um, that actually doesn't quite make sense here in this statement, because it's out of order. It would be, he who has descended from heaven will ascend into heaven, is how he would say it if he was speaking of the future. What he is saying is that no one can enter into the kingdom of God except by word and the Spirit, except through Jesus. through Jesus. That's right. From he who descended from heaven. Does that make sense? Yeah. The only way, the only access, or even, actually he calls himself this, doesn't he? I am the way, <laughs> the truth, and the life. Right? The only way into heaven is through the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. Um, it is interesting. You can see some psalms there. I'll give you some quotes. God himself is said to ascend. You're like, well, wait a minute. He's already in the highest place. How does he ascend higher? But in the Psalms, he does. So there's some movement of God in the heavens, which is interesting. Um, uh, the fulfillment of the Psalms, though, is not, is not just simply God moving around in heaven, but rather Jesus and his exaltation. Right. So here, this, this is John's emphasis, is that you, your access, your way um, to heaven, the way to ascend is through the cross. It, and actually is through death then. Which seems, what, backwards? Counterintuitive? Right? Because you think the way, the way to heaven would be to escape death. And yet, what Jesus does is he say, no, actually, the way to heaven is through death. And we say that at fun- in the funeral at the committal. This is the gate of heaven. Right? Wait a minute. Right? Because it's not death, it's sleeping, and there will be the resurrection. Right? Um, so that's, that's contrary. This is it's what the, the Jews call a scandal and the Greeks call, no, the Jews call a stumbling block and the Greeks call a scandal, whichever way it is. You know, they, it, who can bear such an idea that actually one has to die to live? Uh, but that Jesus teaches this in all sorts of ways. Whoever would come after me must take up his cross and follow me. Don't take the high seat. You must humble yourself in order to be exalted. You know, as the Son of Man came down from heaven, only after he went into the lowest place does he end sent up into the to sit at the right hand of the Father, having conquered sin, death, and devil for you. Right? Yeah, so I think John, you're exactly right. No one has ascended to heaven, no one can ascend into heaven, except he who descended from heaven. And so the the language like at Easter time is that is that we I've said this in a sermon before, that you, you ride on Jesus' coattails into heaven. He's the one who bears the standard. He's the lamb. He's the one that goes before you. He's the one that's conquered death. And you get to, you get to follow in his train. As I think one of the hymns actually says. Yeah. Uh, you have the passage in 
in Acts, I believe, where Paul said he ascended into the third heaven. Yeah. <laughs> well, he had some vision, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't really know, he says, right? I, I, yeah, the whole heavenly realm and the heavenly beings and angels and demons and the orders of the angels, and it, it's a little obscure to us. I, I laugh about it because it's still real, it's still true, even though we, we just don't get to learn very much about it, and that's okay. Um, what he does tell us, he tells us for our comfort, not, not for our horror. Right. Yeah, these levels of heaven, and Dante said, well, then there's levels of hell, and uh, whatever. All right, so we'll, we'll come back then to um, it is necessary that the Son of Man be lifted up. That seems to be our mode of operation. We get about two-thirds of the way through. But I, I do want to, um, we've got to talk about that, because it's, again, a type any type, isn't it? The, the serpent on the pole and Christ upon the cross. Yeah, all right, good. All right, Lord be with you. We'll see you in church. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.